Greetings and welcome to The Dividing Line on a Friday. Not sure how long we keep this uh, uber-duber super schedule up and doing lots and lots and lots of programs all through the week. Uh, but some uh, we sort of have to continue to feel sorry for those of you in, uh, in blue states. Uh, if you still have a state government, um, some of you in the Pacific Northwest don't, don't really have that right now, which is just part of the many strange things going on um, here in the United States of America right now. But welcome anyways. I was going to also uh, give welcome from Rich Pierce, but he left uh, because he had a phone call. So it's just us right now. So I can tell you all the stories right now. This would be the one. The one shot, because he can't turn the microphone off. He's just, there's just nobody there. It's just just an empty seat. And I could tell you about, you know, back when he first started working with us as a volunteer, I forget what it was. Oh, that's right. You know, other people had sort of the leadership positions. And so he would sort of do some of the other stuff, you know, just, you know. And so once he, he said, well, yeah, just, just have the slime do it. Use the term slime. So we actually had a um, a white. We had these name badges made back in the day. We were looking like more missionaries, and um, we had one that was white with green lettering on it that said Alphanoid Industries Slime. <laughs> we gave it. To, we gave it to Rich, <laughs> and he wore it proudly. He was, yeah, yeah. That was that was back in the day. That was long, long time ago. Um, yeah, yeah. So, and he's not back yet. And unless he watches this or someone tells him about it, he won't know about this because he's busy on a phone call right now. So we're just taking advantage. <laughs> this is this is payback for all the comments about Coogee's, um Coogee sweaters over the years. Anyway, uh, before I get into some of the topics today, and I need to be done because uh, Rich needs to get out of here um, in an hour. Um. Without getting into all the discussions about dating and everything related to that, and by the way, uh, uh, just in passing, I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. I'm going to try to get it recorded for a ride tomorrow, but um, there was a third program with Iron Sharpens Iron, Chris Arnzen, on the uh, hyperpreterism stuff, and so uh, once you get a chance to listen to that, I'm hoping that we're going to be able to do a, at least a program here on that subject just just so that people have an understanding of not so much the system as the ramifications for other for 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 central elements of the Christian faith. I think it's really, really important to be able to do something like that. So we're gonna try to try to do something along those uh, those lines. Oh and oh that's what I was gonna do. Ah, mm, ah we'll see if we can get to it. If if I can't get to it today um, then I will try to get to it um, on Monday. But I got in touch with our Muslim friend that did the video, uh, who's down in South Africa in Cape Town. And um, he's asked a question of me regarding uh, the God of this world. And uh, some of you may remember, how long ago is that now? <laughs> it could be, yeah, it could be like 12 years ago now. Um, we did a program, and I wonder if he'd come on. Um, maybe he might. Uh, I'll, I'll see if uh, Dr. Hartley might want to talk with us about it. But we did a program on uh, Dr. Hartley's um, 
I think it was dissertation. It was a published work, I know that much. On his understanding of that text in Corinthians, that the God of this world is not Satan there, that that's a judgment text. And uh, it's, I thought it was a really well done paper, and uh, we might do, do a discussion about that. But um, I, he, my Muslim friend asked me that question, and I don't know. I just want to do it on the fly. I would at least want to have it up. Um, and I have a bunch of other stuff that I already had in the queue before that. And as it is, I'm not sure I'm going to get it all done in only an hour. So maybe I'll, I'll try to shoot for that on uh, on Monday, if if you give me that uh, time to be able to do that, but I'm I'm hoping that he'll join me on the program at some point. Um, we are working on doing a major, not not an upgrade to this studio. We're not really planning on changing anything here, um, but we are putting together a studio for use in doing debates and in um, doing. Uh, and, and we had this thought a long time ago, but we're, we're trying to sort of see the silver lining in all the COVID panic stuff. Almost every church has some type of online presence now, or at least an ability to do that type of thing, or at least some experience now. Uh, we would not be using Zoom. Uh, it's a, that's a Chinese company. And uh, uh, so uh, we'd be using um, WebEx. We have uh, a Cisco engineer that has... Uh, been working with us, a real bright guy that's very, very just knows stuff backwards and forwards and stuff like that. So we're going to be putting together a um, studio for that, which would allow, you know, there'd be a podium and uh, TVs. And so when we do debates, you know, the other guy's right over there, you can see him and I'd have a desk and a podium and then the TV can be used for presentations for um, probably more than one TV now that I think about it. Uh, but, you know, doing the um, keynote type stuff and um, anyways, try to do, put something like that uh, together. Um, and uh, so then offering to churches the opportunities of doing stuff that where normally I would have to travel, have to get on airplanes, go places. Um, it's not quite the same, but if you want to get the information out, if you want to be able to have interaction, answer questions, stuff like that, you can still do it. Um, and we had thought about doing this years ago, but now the the infrastructure is a whole lot better for now anyways, um, unless <laughs> unless your server is in a, in a server farm in downtown Seattle or Portland or <laughs> someplace like that. And, um, you might want to think about moving your infrastructure and servers to red states um, rather than blue states because, yeah, that's what's going on. Uh, okay, so... Um, Revelation chapter 6, just very, very quickly here, without getting into all the discussions about timing and dating and all the eschatological stuff, in the sixth chapter of Revelation, we have these words, And the kings of the earth and the great men, the commanders of the rich and the strong, and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains, to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us in the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? This is how the sixth chapter of Revelation ends. With a universal, and notice it, it is interesting. I had not even thought about this until I just read it right now. But you have the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man 
that pretty much takes care of the entirety of the culture at that at that time. And they are all put together in one group. You don't have uh, any indication that this wrath of God is going to be more against one than another. In fact, they all say, and they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne from the wrath of the Lamb. The important thing to recognize is the universality of sin, the universality of rebellion, and apart from grace, the response and reaction of man when faced with the wrath of God and the coming judgment is not repentance. It's not repentance. So much of what we're facing today has a grossly unbiblical anthropology, a grossly unbiblical view of the nature of man. When you recognize that, I, I forget when I came up with this, and maybe I heard it from somebody else. I don't remember hearing it from somebody else. It's my recollection that I was thinking one day and this thought came to me, but um, most of us don't have a whole lot of original thoughts, so uh, there's, there's that. Um, w- I am convinced in light of biblical anthropology, biblical view of man, that if you were to open the door of hell 10,000 years into punishment, however time is measured in that context, and you were to reach in and drag out a a smoldering um, person, notice I didn't say soul because resurrection has taken place, Um, sit them down, and give them an option. The option would be uh, to worship, to love God and worship Him with all your heart, or turn around and walk right back through that door to where you were before. That without exception, everyone would stand up, spit toward God, and walk that, back through that door. Because punishment does not change a stony heart. There has to be a change of the individual for there to be reformation, for there to be the ability to learn spiritual lessons. Rebels will remain rebels and only be confirmed even more in their rebellion. And so here you have a situation where the, the great day of the wrath of he who sits upon the throne and the Lamb has come. And the people know. From the great men, the kings of the earth, great men, commanders, rich and strong, every slave and free man, they all say, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? They've got better theology than a lot of people teaching in seminaries do today. They know that a day of wrath is coming, and they know that they are not going to be able to stand. And so they call upon the mountains and the rocks to fall on them and hide them. So, it takes the special work of the Spirit of God to bring repentance into the heart. It doesn't matter what your status is. From kings to slaves, it's all the same. But notice the most amazing element of this. Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now, where did that come from? Well, this is Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 5 introduces us to the Lamb. Remember the, the, the book? No one is worthy to open the book, and John starts to cry and stop crying. Here is the lamb. He's overcome. 
and he's standing as if slain, and he opens the seals, and all, every created thing, every created thing bows down and worships he who sits upon the throne and the Lamb. So there's where that's come from. So here you're only in the next chapter. And so as these seals are being opened, the purposes of God are being seen. And so the great day of their wrath has come, and it's the great day of their wrath has come. Can you imagine any Old Testament prophet being associated with God in this way? Because we're talking about the Father and the Son here, and the great day of their wrath has come. What's the wrath of God? And just like Paul joins Jesus in light of the Incarnation into the Shema in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, here the very wrath of God is described as the wrath of he who sits on the throne and the wrath of the Lamb. And that's, that's, the, that's the phrase that is, just echoes in my mind, the wrath of the Lamb. Lambs don't have wrath. But the one who stands as if slain does, and properly so. Necessarily so. There must be the great day of their wrath. Justice must must be done. And so, in application, real quickly, when you demand the fulfillment of justice in this life before the great day of their wrath— you're basically saying this is never going to happen. And that's, that's, that's what the entire social justice movement is based upon, is it has to be done now. There will not be a day of judgment to come. There will not be a day when everything is made right. It has to be done now. It has to be done now. So that's why it's, it's okay if you end up hurting innocent people, uh, because you can't let any of the bad guys ever get away. The Christian worldview, they, never, they don't have a chance. They're never going to get away in the first place. Keep that in mind. The wrath of the Lamb requires us to recognize who Jesus truly, truly is. And of course, large majority of what call themselves Christian churches today don't have a view of Jesus that would allow him to have wrath in the first place. Uh, that's a sad reality of the day in which we live. All right, let's get to the things we've got on the list here. Because of the fact that by Monday, it probably won't matter. They'll probably have been replaced by all sorts of other pressing matters. So last night, I forget how I first saw it. Uh, I saw it a couple times afterwards. But um, there is a uh, group called FaithfulAmerica.org. And they have put a petition online looking for 15,000 signatures to ask the seminary trustees of Southern Seminary to fire Albert Moeller. Fire evangelical leader for enabling racism and attacking the Episcopal Church. <laughs> I'm just sitting here thinking about how many Anglicans that I know who have said some really strong things about the Episcopal Church. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, well, if the Episcopal Church wouldn't keep doing things that require you to go, weren't they a Christian domination once? Uh, hard to tell any longer, then, you know. But see, I get to say things that certain other people don't get to say. Because um, uh, what are they going to do? Put an online, what are they going to do? Petition uh, 
us to fire us. That's not going to work. Anyway, so um, here's, here's what it says. It says, countless Christian leaders have been marching for black lives and condemning President Trump's violent Christian nationalism. But not Dr. Albert Moeller, the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, in a podcast. And, of course, I'm not sure. It's around right at 10 years now. I've been doing 10 years worth of the briefing. So that's take July off. You take the holidays off. That's still, uh, what, 3,500 some odd podcasts at least? I mean, that's that's a lot lot of time on the air. Um, in the podcast, Mueller used Trump's blasphemous Bible photo op. This is these folks aren't trying to hide where they're coming from. When I'm, I'm going to tell you who they are here in a moment, you'll get the idea. Uh, Mueller used Trump's blasphemous Bible photo op at St. John's Episcopal Church as an excuse to ignore Black Lives, pivoting to bizarrely and offensively argue that the Episcopal Church's use of Scripture, presumably in its embrace of LGBTQ rights quote, adds to the pain and the consternation, end quote, of the moment. That was an added comment just at the very end, by the way. I I heard this program, obviously. Not once between the May 25th death of George George Floyd and the June 7th launch of this petition has Moeller, likely the next president of the Southern Baptist Convention, used his daily podcast, now stop, to do what? What do you think he's supposed to use it to do? To condemn white supremacy or police violence. And... Of course, um, those are only defined in one way, not historic, not the historic meanings of white supremacy, uh, not the historic meaning of police violence. Um, Obviously, Dr. Moeller would condemn both very clearly and has very clearly. um, But we live in this weird day where the other side gets to redefine all the terms and then say, you must use the words as we use the words. We don't care if it doesn't make any sense. We don't care if it's incoherent. We don't care if it doesn't fit in your worldview. Our worldview is all that matters, and our worldview embraces incoherence. And so you're to be as incoherent as we are. That's where we are, or you, we, will, we will seek to get you fired. We will seek to get you fired. Instead, he has often focused on condemning protesters never even mentioning the word racism except to disagree with a progressive black writer. All this comes just two weeks after reports that Mueller defended slavery as recently as a 1998 CNN interview. It's enough to make you wonder, does Mueller feel like black, like black lives don't matter? And of course, Mueller had not defended slavery in a 1998 CNN interview. Uh, he was asked a direct question about what the Bible teaches about slavery. Uh, today, if you answer accurately, if you, if someone says, what does the Bible say about slavery? And you get out your Bible and you go, okay, let's, let's start at the beginning and let's go back to, uh, let's go back to Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and let's look at what the laws are and you start there. No, 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 no. That's you're not allowed to do that. You, you are you are not allowed to look at the law in the Old Testament. You're not allowed to put it in its ancient context. You're not allowed to then differentiate. Well, th- and then follow 
the application of that through time in the nation of, in the history of Israel, and then of course Israel's history began begins to intersect with not a, well obviously had intersected already with Egypt at where they were slaves, um, but then you 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 get Greece, you get Rome, uh, you get all the other thing things going on even before then Babylonian and Syrian. All of them have slightly different takes. All of them have slavery. Then you get to Rome, you get to the New Testament, you get to the Gospel, um, and then you, you read what Paul said to the many non-free, the slaves, the douloi, in the church. None of this is allowed today. You're not allowed to do any of that. People do not want to know what a, the biblical perspective is. They do not want to uh, have any um, understanding whatsoever of the complexities down through history, of historical contexts. No, no, not today. Not today. There is only one narrative. And if you do not just immediately mouth the narrative, just just say, Black Lives Matter. Just say it. Just, just, just put it out there, and then get on your knees. That's it. You, you're not allowed to do anything else. You, you are not allowed to do anything else. Anything else automatically makes you a white supremacist and a racist. That's where we are today. It's, is it irrational? Of course it is. Uh, can that kind of thinking sustain a society for any period of time at all? No, it cannot. Uh, law is done. Fairness, justice. Any meaningful definition of justice, gone, which shows you how little that side really cares about justice, actual justice, real justice. Um, that's where we are. That's, that's the situation. So uh, you have to speak as they speak in the time frame that you're given, and there can be nothing more beyond that. Um. If enough Christians speak out now, it could create enough controversy around Mueller to prevent him from becoming the next leader of America's largest Protestant domination and embarrassment that Christianity does not need. Sign the petition. The petition. So this is, now who, are, who, are, who is Faithful America? Well, when you click on the About uh, thing, you, you end up with a uh, black woman preacher in robes. You've got uh, another guy in, um, that's not Kente fabric. <laughs> it's something we all just learned about. Uh, it's, it's the colorful, probably LGBTQ affirming stuff. And it tells us that Faithful America was founded in 2004. We are the largest online community of Christians putting faith into action for social justice. Our members are sick of sitting by quietly while Jesus' message of good news is hijacked by the religious right to serve a hateful political agenda. We're organizing the faithful to challenge such extremism and renew the church's prophetic role in building a more free and just society. Um, and then they, um, they're a 501c4, but here's a few of our successes. You want to, you want to see what success is for these guys? Okay. Uh, they convinced Google to drop World Vision. When World Vision, one of the world's largest Christian relief and development organizations, announced plans to stop discriminating against gays and lesbians, they were met with a furious outcry from the religious right. 
World Vision quickly reversed themselves, so more than 17,000 faithful American members called on Google to find new Christian partners that don't discriminate. Within days, Google's director of corporate giving resigned from World Vision's board of directors. Uh, pressured MSNBC. Does it ever... How much pressure does it take on MSNBC to get them to do anything that's radically leftist? Pressured MSNBC into dropping the Family Research Council, FRC, which Southern Poverty Law Center named a hate group. And, of course, Southern Southern Poverty Law Center is itself a hate group. For spreading outrageous lies about lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people has long exerted a poisonous influence in the media. Seeking to delegitimize the FRC was legitimate representative as a legitimate representative of the faith community. We mobilized more than 20,000 members in a sustained months-long campaign, including petitions, phone calls, and in-person events that ultimately pressured MSNBC to stop inviting the FRC's president, Tony Perkins, on the air. So this is what they are. This is your ultra-left-wing LGBTQ. If, it's, if they were a plane, they'd have two left-wings. Um, these are the people, and you can see what they want to do. They don't want to build anything. They don't have anything positive to do. Uh, for them, what is positive is destroying any testimony to biblical morality, biblical law, biblical teaching, whatever else it might be. And so they're just being straight up front. We want to create as much controversy as possible uh, to try to go after Al Mohler because— Al Mohler hasn't said what we want him to say in the way that we want him to say it. And you might say, well, okay, Al Mohler has a webcast that thousands and thousands of people listen to. And uh, so he's the only one. It's only people like that that have to worry about him. That's where you're wrong. That's where you're wrong. These people will go after the leaders. But by doing so, they give an example for everyone else to go after everyone else people in your neighborhood, people in your, in, your, in your grocery store, in your school, and anymore, your church, in your church. Because, well, let, yesterday, yesterday we talked uh, about ethnic groups and social justice and cultural Marxism. And what did I do when I started off the program? When I started off the program, I said, I wish I could just simply play for you um, my black brothers and sisters in Christ saying all the things that I'm going to be saying. But those are the ones who are attacked, maligned, shoved out into the nether regions. They're insulted and slandered um, because very clearly there is a narrative that is to be maintained right now. And if you question it, you will be attacked. And it doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what your, what your ethnic background is. Uh, Samuel Say has been writing articles talking about the destructive nature of social justice ideology, critical, uh, critical theory, whether it's critical race theory, critical justice theory. Uh, Dr. Moeller was talking about that uh, past couple of days. Critical justice theory. Uh, remember, all you got to do is take critical theory, put something in the middle of it, and eventually what's in the middle dies. That's, that's what its, its whole purpose is. It's, it's taken apart. It's destroyed. And 
so Samuel Say has been writing about stuff like this. Of course, Vody has been speaking about stuff like this forever. Uh, you've got secular folks who've been addressing these things. I said right at the beginning, I wish I could just simply put them together saying all of this, but that's not really practical. And so what do you get? Well, early last evening, a fellow by the name of Nathan Kitchens, N.W. Kitchens, at N.W. Kitchens in uh, Twitter. I no longer think of Tom Buck and James White as serious people, and I'm committing to not even engaging them or their work tweets at all anymore. And um, looks like a young white guy with a beard. I, my thought was, well, I don't have any idea who Nathan Kitchens is, and so I don't, didn't know that he'd ever been engaging me or anyone else to begin with. But somehow, uh, Tom Buck and I are not serious people. I, I may have laughed once or twice uh, during the program yesterday, but I, I, I was, thought I was fair, fairly serious. Yeah, yeah. So in other words, neither Tom Buck nor myself buy into the current cultural movement. I've never really bought into cultural movements all that well myself, but um, right now, because there has been such a massive leap to the left, if you, if you are even slow adjusting to try to catch up, you look like the rebel now. Let alone if you try to hold your ground and say, mm, I ain't going that way. I'm not going there. So this leftward movement has taken place. And then so when, when we, we go, whoa, not doing that, here's why. Here's the biblical foundation. Now, all of a sudden, we're no longer serious people. Now, Mr. Kitchens doesn't look like he's all that old. Um, in fact, he looks like he would be about, I don't know, two? Uh, back when I first debated Barry Lynn on the subject of homosexuality, maybe? Um, sort of sorry, hard to tell. Uh, but the point is, I believe what I believed then in regards to the sufficiency of Scripture, the sin of homosexuality. Have I, have I learned much more about those subjects since then? I'd have to have. I've now spent hours responding to uh, those presenting arguments on that subject. Same thing in regards to all this, what is now plaguing the church and our society and destroying it right, left, and center— in regards to dividing us along ethnic lines and things like that. Yes, but I'm not the one who has changed. If, if 20 years ago uh, Mr. Kitchens had been listening to, to me, do you really think that I would be all that different, or would he be all that different now than he would have been back then? That's really the question. But Tom Buck and I are not serious people any longer. And then this morning... Uh, someone sent me uh, something from Anthony Caputi, and I, I noticed that Anthony and I have many of the same friends. I think over 46 common Facebook friends, including a couple of my fellow pastors. But uh, Anthony had posted this um, with the link to the dividing line from yesterday. I'm done with the dividing line after today. 
James White did nothing but revile the entire black community on this episode and only pointed out the problems they face while ignoring the other problems that need to be addressed. This is the problem with being biased and one-sided. You never get the whole picture and end up making blanket statements about an entire group of people. How hard is it to acknowledge mistreatment and show empathy? You have nothing positive to say about an entire group of people? Question mark. Yeah, yeah. No one who watched that who does not have about 20 times the thickness of these in front of their eyes could have seen or heard what Anthony Caputi saw and heard. So evidently, when I talked about my black brothers and sisters who were saying the same things, that got missed. Because how can it be the entire black community unless he agrees that they're not a part of the black community? I, I don't know how exactly that works. Um, reviling? Reviling the entire black community. Really? So I guess, I, I, again, once the virus of the social justice movement infects somebody, it... I guess retranslates words so you can't understand them anymore or they come up with different meanings or something along those lines. So if I say it is a fact that 94 to 95% of the homicides of black people in the United States are committed by black people, I'm reviling the whole, the whole community. And I guess when a black person says the same thing, they're also reviling the entire community. Even though it's a fact. No one disputes it. No one can dispute it. I mean, it's just documentable. At least it's documentable right now, until the Ministry of Truth arises and then just changes all those numbers to fit things as they, as they wish. But right now, we can still verify these types of things. And is that reviling the entire community? Is saying that... There have been fundamental changes in that community in regards to uh, view of marriage, sexuality, promiscuity, abortion. Um, is it not a fact, an established, recognized fact, that a black woman is two and a half times more likely to seek an abortion than a white woman in the United States? Now, the real question is, why... What can be done about that? That goes to a biblical anthropology, all the rest of that stuff, which is what I said yesterday. But is making, is, is simply stating the fact what is reviling? What was reviling? What, what, how do you define this? There, I mean, there, there's a term, there's, that's a biblical term. That's a biblical term. So why don't you, you know, Jude uses it. Why don't you find that term and then demonstrate where I reviled, where I did nothing, by the way. I did nothing on the program yesterday. 90 minutes. Nothing. According to Anthony Caputi on Facebook, I did nothing but revile the entire black community. That's all I did. There, there, was, there was no discussion of the imputed righteousness of Christ. There was no discussion of God's creative intention. There was no discussion of, of biblical hamartiology, no discussion of biblical anthropology. None of that actually happened. Anthony couldn't see any of that. He couldn't hear any of that. That's dangerous, folks. Because, I mean, that's just, de that's just deceptive. He's, he's self-deceived. 
He's deceived himself into hearing things that actually didn't happen and then not hearing things that were actually part of the solution. And that's why this is so dangerous. You can't hear the other side's solution. We know what the solution for, for the leftists is. And we know biblically it's not going to work because it doesn't address man as he has been created. And it accepts grossly unbiblical views of sin. And so someone tries to say, well, here's where the actual solutions are, and Anthony can't even hear it. What causes this? What causes this? Um, so, how hard is it to acknowledge mistreatment and show empathy? <sighs> how hard is it to acknowledge mistreatment? What do you mean by mistreatment? You mean in the past? You mean now? Do you see differences between the two? I mean, are, are we talking? Are we on the same planet? Because you know, um, no one alive today in the United States has been enslaved as a black person under the laws of the United States, right? Okay, but there is slavery elsewhere. There are actually organizations that work in freeing slaves elsewhere in the world. And so I could certainly see how someone who has been enslaved in their life has a special status. But once you start going into all this ancestry stuff, every person on this planet is related to former slaves. Every single person. My ancestors were. You can dismiss that. And you've been taught to dismiss that by theories of white supremacy. But my ancestors were, and so were yours. So, how do you define this acknowledged mistreatment? You, want, you talk about Jim Crow laws? You bet. Which, which of the political parties passed the civil rights legislation? Which party opposed it completely? Do, do, you, do you all remember, remember any of that? Um... No, nobody does. I wonder if we walk down the street today in, well, you can't walk down the street in a lot of major cities today. But if we did walk down the street in, any, in, in certain cities today, what percentage of people would even get that question right as to who was behind those things? And who opposed certain amendments to the Constitution and all the rest of that kind of stuff? I, I, I bet you that they wouldn't, have, wouldn't even start to get that right. But... How about mistreatment of Asians in our society? Uh, how about the uh, putting of, of, of the Japanese into internment camps during World War II? How about uh, the use of Chinese slave labor into building the railroads? So this isn't just one group, is it? But we, But when we are told right now we have to get down and Focus on only one group. What, what do you mean by show empathy? What, 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 is that supposed to, what is that supposed to look like today, biblically? If, if in the early church, you have in Colossae, you have 10 different ethnic groups represented within the church. 
And out of those 10, there are numerous situations where various of those groups have been at tremendous odds with the other, and in fact may have been involved in the imprisonment of others, horrible treatment of others, battles with others. I mean, that was the history of the time. What would you expect the fellowship there to look like in regards to what you are calling empathy? What would that have, how would that have fleshed out? And how would that have fleshed out if all those battles had been 160 years earlier? I mean, you know, the enslavement stuff. So, it sounds to me, it was too short to be able to ask questions though. But it sounds to me the same thing that I'm seeing from so many people today. It sounds to me a little bit like what was behind what J.D. Greer said. Let's not be talking statistics right now. Let's just bear one another's burdens. Well, you can't define what the burden is without truth. The statistics are what define the truth. So by ignoring the numbers and ignoring the reality the burden becomes a social movement rather than what the Bible is referring to. So you're not bearing someone's burdens when you're actually being used as a political pawn. It's not the same thing. So one of the reasons, you know, all the time what I, what I hear is, well, you're just, you're just too mean. You're just not a nice person. What they mean by that is, you're just too focused upon being consistent. You are too focused upon controlling emotion in light of principle and commitment to principle and consistency over time. And I guess that's just what the rest of my life is going to be about. No one had a problem with that, really, only a few decades ago. But now that just seems to be a terrible, horrible thing. If you dare say, I'm not going to be moved by emotion. You need to present meaningful arguments because your emotions will change tomorrow. Your emotions will change five years from now. You won't even remember what your emotions were now, then. And so I can't act on that basis. And no one is wise to act upon such a basis. So, were blacks mistreated? Of course. Was, was Jim Crow disgusting? Of course. But the narrative that has been built out of that is that black people are not strong enough to live today in light of a memory that many of them don't even have, but they've heard from somebody else about their past. That's why I quoted John McWhorter, where he specifically said, we, we are taught that we are the only minority group in the history of the world that cannot flourish without perfect, a perfect context, perfect setting in which to do so. He's a black man who recognizes the error, the debilitating error of the narrative that is so popular within the community itself. Is that what the reviling part is? Again, biblically, that cannot be reviling if it's true. And that issue just doesn't seem to come up. So, Anthony, 
sorry, you're done with the dividing line. Okay. But I'm not the one that changed. I'm not the one that changed. I'm being consistent with what I've said behind this microphone for decades. Anthony, what happened to you? That's what I want. What happened to you? Why have you changed? And how can you be a part of the solution if you won't allow the question to actually be defined? That's, that's a problem. That's a major problem. Uh, okay. Um, I have had this one on the pile for a while. Why do you have a headset on? You you pretending you're flying a plane or something or? Oh. I don't know. It just reminds me of Joe Biden having his uh, face diaper hanging off of his ear. I'm not even sure he knew that he had his his face diaper hanging off of his ear. Um, have you caught any of the the stuff where people are just simply re- they're just taking recordings of him speaking, and you just put together. It is pure gibberish where, where there is – he may be speaking in code. He may be communicating with aliens. You think, you think, it, you think I'm right? Dog whistle? No, 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 no. No, I think it's aliens. I think it's aliens, yeah. I think it's aliens. What? Russians. Ah, Chinese. The, Russia, the, Russians, the Russians are boring. The Russians, the Russians are boring now. It's the Chinese. They're behind everything. All right. Uh, oh. Okay. I've had this in the pile for a while, and we've got enough time to be looking at it. This all is part of the same mess. And um, so... But but it reminds us of some of the things we were arguing about not very long ago. And uh, we need to move over here. Thank you. Um, and J.K. Rowling is, I think, was at one point the richest woman in England, I think. And she, of course, is the mind behind the Harry Potter series, the movies, um, everything that has come out of all of that, billions and billions of pounds there in the UK. But she, and she is way off on the left. Uh, she is a secular woman, way off on on the left, which surprises me. It doesn't surprise me, she is, but what surprises me is to tell a good story even in the modern period, requires you, whether you want to or not, to recognize fundamental truths about good and evil. And you can try to tweak it, and you can try to to mess with it, but in the end, you've, you've got to follow the storyline that's actually going to satisfy what we as human beings long for in regards to justice and everything else. So while she says, hey, I've got plenty of trans friends and homosexual friends, and you can sleep with anybody you want to sleep with as long as an adult, um, and you can do whatever you want to do, blah, 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 blah. J.K. Rowling 
is a feminist. And she's a feminist that recognizes that if there isn't such thing as a woman, there is no feminism. If sex, gender, whatever terminology we're going to be using today, which changes regularly, uh, is going to have any... If that has no meaning any longer, then feminism has no meaning. You can't talk about women's issues. You cannot talk about equal white rights for women if you cannot define women. Well, just like Martina Navratilova, once the left breaks from rationality and starts flying off toward its necessary ends, um, you, nobody can keep up anymore. You, you just can't keep up with it. It just gets too crazy. And so she made comments and, in fact, ended up writing a lengthy paper defending her position that we need to recognize there is such thing as what a natural woman is, a person who menstruates. Well, okay, isn't it sad that that's the, that's about as far as you can go now? I mean, that's, that's, that's pitiful that, that, that you, we'd even have to think about it, but that's where we are in our society. And by the way, anyone who says anything like that, you go online, clearly people have queued up these tweets and these links to only three or four pseudo-scientific uh, papers and stuff where you you try to say, well, actually, it's it's very complicated. Well, the biology of gender is complicated, but that does not mean that there is any confusion amongst anyone who knows anything about science or biology between a male and a female. And amongst human beings, the structural differences are easily noticeable and are definable clearly uh, upon examination. And it is patently obvious that one has one necessary aspect of the genetic code and the other has the other aspect of the genetic code and the two come together to produce a new human being. And when you put these two together and these two together, that don't happen. This is simple. This is straightforward. Even if we violate the very laws of nature to someday change that, none of that will change the reality that men are men and women are women. Are some men more manly than other men? Well, I suppose. Are some women more manly than other women? Uh, I suppose. Um, But biology remains biology. And aside from genetic errors, aside from genetic mutations, aside from genetic disease, where you have extra chromosomes or damage to chromosomes or whatever else it might be, which is an extremely small percentage of people, you have men, you have women. That's just the reality of, of what life is. And we are now living in a society that is, in a, that is investing billions of dollars in self-deception. Utter and complete self-deception, which is a part of the judgment of God. Well, uh, 
So the pushback has been huge against J.K. Rowling. And even the actor who played Harry Potter himself uh, pushed back uh, retweeting and, and tweeting and repeating trans women are real women. Trans women are real women. You know, when someone does that, you automatically know that there's not much sense even trying to reason with such a person. And it's it shouldn't shock us when actors basically demonstrate that their connection to the real world is somewhat tenuous <laughs> because they spend most of their time in somebody else's world and there just seems to be a connection there. And I've never understood why is it... I, I, okay, I do get it. I do get it. Let me... All right. We transfer the credibility of the characters played by actors to the actors. And so, um, Russell Crowe, Russell Crowe played Maximus in Gladiator. Okay? Loved the film. Uh, Loved the character. You've got commitment. You've got strength and honor. Strength and honor. And sacrifice for his, in that case, empire and his, uh, his emperor, his king, uh, Marcus Aurelius, even though the actual Maximus and Marcus Aurelius didn't live at the same time, but anyway. And so I saw Gladiator a lot when it was first came out in theaters. Uh, and I've watched it many times since then. And so when I would see Russell Crowe, the actor, drunk and doing stupid things, I'd get struck by the huge contrast between Maximus, the manly man, the good man, and Crow, who played him. And that's why I could never be an actor. Because I would want to incorporate into myself the good characteristics of the people that I played. And I wouldn't want to be a hypocrite. I mean, that's the very essence of an actor is to be a hypocrite under the mask that's 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 what it's all about i guess but i think that's why we give people like harry potter um and the others who played in the cast as well um hermione whoever see i I'm, i i stink with actors names by the way uh i just don't even care that, that shows you <laughs> i i if there was an actor's name category in Jeopardy, I'm just going to put the thing down. <laughs> not even bother because I'm not going to be able to do anything. With it. But um, Granger, yeah, Granger is his name, her name. Um, anyway, they've all come out, of course, to to virtue signal to to oh, and in fact, to say the her comments are dangerous. This is this is the last thing. Last week, uh, I was going to make some comments on this, and then Dr. Morley made some comments about this on, on the briefing. It was talking about safism. Safism. Yes, that's a word. I hate the new words that are being developed, but safism. 
right here, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the Human Rights Campaign, which, of course, is a homosexual promotion organization. J.K. Rowling's comments not only undermine the core values of the Harry Potter series. How does that work? She wrote it. Hello? <laughs> she's, the, she's the author. How do you... That's, that's like when people say... That's like when the Human Rights cam- Campaign says, if you believe what the Bible says, you're undercutting the values of the Bible. It's like, no, you didn't write it. Anyway, J.K. Rowling's comments not only undermine the core values of the Harry Potter series, they are flat-out dangerous. And underneath it, J.K. Rowling's screed is a betrayal for Harry Potter's trans fans. They're flat-out dangerous. And so here's two more words that have now been completely redefined, but what, what, this, is, this is how we're being controlled. You take words that have an established meaning, you continue using those words in that way so that the meaning doesn't completely change like gay has. I mean, nobody is going to say, I'm feeling really gay today. They're not going to, you did say that even when I was a kid. There are still Christmas songs that have that type of thing in it. But there's a word that has been completely changed in its meaning. You don't use the old meaning anymore. What these people do, what the left does today, is you keep using the word so that any, so that you can use it when you then switch the meaning to promote your narrative. So safe... You know, be safe out there. Um, we want everyone to come home safely. We keep using that. But on university campuses, that's not what it means anymore. It means you demanding the right to live without the expression of views you find offensive anywhere in your hearing, seeing, or knowledge. What you consider to be safety is being a five-year-old protected by your parents from anyone saying anything mean to you. Safism as it exists now, and that's what's behind it, flat-out dangerous. Dangerous as in opposite of safe. And so the argument there is going to be, well, if you believe what she believes and she's devaluing trans people and trans people are going to kill themselves as a result. That's the argument. That's the argument. And we are, I am, I am very concerned about how many Christians I see who are deeply influenced by this way of thought. It's a worldly way of thought. The Bible does not promise us a bed of ease and that kind of safism. We're safe in the hands of the Lord, but being safe in the hands of the Lord might take you through a German death camp, as it did with, uh, with many people in the past, but especially Corey Ten Boom and her sister. You're, they were safe in the hands of Jesus, but they were not safe from the world's perspective. The Christian life is not a safe life in that way. And I see a lot of Christians that have bought into this stuff, lock, stock, and barrel. They're, you're, you're, trying, you're trying to read this wearing the lenses of the world. And the result is confusion. It's confusion. And, and you know how, you know how it will be demonstrated? 
10 years from now, you'll be someplace else. And the people who didn't have those lenses on will be standing right where they need to be, right where they need to be. All right. That's it for our Friday program. And like I said, on I'll try on Monday uh, to remember to uh, deal with the, um, I think it's 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, uh, text. And we'll talk a little bit about theos and theon and the just exact same word, exact same meaning, no difference whatsoever. Uh, but we'll expand upon that. Uh, and some other things, I'm sure something tells me something's going to happen between now and Monday. Yeah, something tells me. All right, folks, thanks for watching. We'll see you next time. God bless.